the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Many of us go through our lives hampered by painful memories. Seated deep within our minds, they can seem impossible to dislodge, and they can trigger tremendous pain and prevent us from thriving in our lives. According to today's guest, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, the more conscious of these fears we are, the more we can break free from their hold. She offers simple steps to face our fearful memories, learn from them, and successfully break free. Dr. Manley is a practicing clinical psychologist who focuses on fear and fear-based disorders such as trauma, anxiety, and depression. Her personalized approach utilizes transformational fear in the self-growth and healing process. She is the author of Joy from Fear, Create the Life of Your Dreams by Making Fear Your Friend. Welcome, Dr. Manley. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Joan. It's a privilege. Thank you. So, Dr. Fear keeps many people stuck in life, but you say that we can learn to make fear a friend. Before we get into how we can turn this around, how do you believe fear holds us back in life? That's really the basic of my, the foundation of my work, Joan. Essentially, we have fear that's a realistic fear and fear that we are worried that if we're out hiking, a bear might bite us, right? Or, you know, attack us, something like that. That's a realistic fear. We have another side of fear that is irrational. And that is the part that I focus on in my work, that we have these irrational fears that are very destructive and they keep us stuck in life. Often these fears emanate from childhood, from parents or other role models who often don't intend to make us think unkind thoughts about ourselves, Mm -hmm. but often things get lodged in the psyche that tell us we're not smart enough, that we're not good enough, that we're not pretty enough or tall enough. And so they get stuck there and we go through life not realizing that that is fear at work. That's destructive fear. So doctor, if these thoughts, if these fears are stuck in our subconscious programming, the the part of us that is autopilot, that we don't even realize where we act and behaving in a certain way, then how can we take that destructive fear and make it constructive? That's the beautiful part, Joan. By becoming aware of another side of fear, what I came to term constructive fear, we can look at a fear, realize by talking to it, whether or not it's an irrational fear or an irrational fear. And by having that discussion with the fear, Mm -hmm. it becomes constructive in a way. It gives us a positive message. And then we can take it one step further. And that step takes us into what I call transformational fear. And that's where we actually begin to take action to change that part of our our life by having become more aware. So awareness then helps us to create a new pattern, create a new behavior. How long does it take for this type of change to take place? Such a good question, Joan. It is so dependent on the individual, and it doesn't have to do with intelligence. Some people think that, oh, I'm very smart. I should be able to get this. No, it depends on the depth of your childhood trauma, 
right? Because a lot of people have a lot more trauma stuck in them than they realize. It also depends on how high functioning you are in the emotional realm, how emotionally intelligent and capable of introspection you are. And some people just haven't cultivated that attribute in life. So it, as they learn to cultivate it and learn to become introspective, it becomes easier. But at the, And somebody can be incredibly intelligent, but not have the emotional awareness and the self-reflective capacity. That's key for this growth. And it is something no one needs to think, oh, I can't do this then. You know, I'm not very emotionally intelligent. You can become emotionally aware. You can become emotionally intelligent. And so once you do that, then it becomes natural. You just start becoming more self-aware, which is a really beautiful thing, because the more self-aware you become, the happier you tend to be. And also you tend to get on with others better because you're not coming from a more ego place, you're actually really in touch with how your life and your interactions are affecting others. So if deep-seated trauma could be at the root of all of this behavior, and we're not even aware of these traumas, what advice do you offer to help us become aware? What are some things we can do to get to the root cause? Such a good question. I tell people, Take a journey with me into your most significant childhood memories. And often people will say, oh, I don't remember my childhood. And that's okay. There's something called childhood amnesia. We often don't remember things before about age seven. But often people will recall something highly significant. And I give case study my book, Joy from Fear. And there is one case study in my book, and this is not an uncommon theme, by the way, where the man recalled his father distinctly telling him repeatedly, you will never amount to anything. Everything you touch will turn to crap. Mm -hmm. And so that was hard. And once this man, this adult, began to realize that he was living his life with that script running in his head. So even though he was successful in the business realm, his personal realm had taught him that he was going to be a screw up. And he was just always waiting for something at work to go wrong and something in his personal life to go wrong. Again, coming from this, he had a really traumatic childhood, much more than he was able to appreciate when he came in to see me. And then he realized that here's his hero, his role model, his father, giving him constant messages about what a defective person he was, which wasn't true. So these types of messages come from family members, they come from loved ones. As you were sharing that story, I was thinking about what our kids today are experiencing through social media and all of that 24-7 communication. When you're given those types of bullying statements or or, you know, I see on social media, people have, they don't have a filter anymore. They just say what they're thinking and they don't care who it hurts. When you have that type of trauma in your life on a daily basis, what is going to happen to our kids when they get older? I'm going to read you a quote. The rate of major depression symptoms increased 52% in adolescence from 8.7% in 2005 to 13.2% in 2017. And that's a really stunning statistic that really speaks to what you're talking about. Social media, I'm a fan of technology when we use it wisely. Mm -hmm. I am not a fan of technology when we let it infect our lives in a toxic, mindless way. And that's what what is happening to our children. That's why those statistics are so stunning. Because when we look at how the brain develops, And the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until the 20s, until we are in our 20s. The brain's not fully myelinated, meaning the insulation, until you're 25. So children's brains soak in what they hear and they believe it. Unlike adults, well, we sometimes do that too, right? (laughs) But children are much more susceptible. And so what's happening is children are on social media and they're seeing a beautiful model or a wonderful sports star or a neighbor who seems to have it all together and whose pictures are airbrushed or this or that. And they think I'm defective because I don't look like that. I'm defective. My life is messed up because my family is not like that perfect family. And these messages, what I call 
the toxic disease of comparison. They make it into the psyche and they live there and they just make the child feel extremely anxious, often depressed. The other part that research is showing that technology is playing a huge part in disrupting children's sleep. Children are not getting sufficient sleep anymore and the statistics are alarming. And what is that coming from? Largely technology. Children's cell phones are in their bedrooms, their computers are in their bedrooms, they're being woken up by texts, they're up at three and four in the morning, you know, texting their friends, and they're not getting sufficient sleep. And again, research is showing us the importance of sleep and how it's now at epidemic proportions. And when we look at teenagers and sleep statistics on teenagers, we're in the over 90% of teenagers, ninth to 12th graders, are not getting sufficient sleep. So as we all know, when we're not getting good sleep, we're edgier, we're grouchier, we're more susceptible to, you know, emotional fluctuations. So I think all of this is a huge issue that needs to be addressed. As parents, what we can look at is what can we do? What can we do? Well, one of the things we can do is take control of technology. And so that's the important thing. And again, I don't want to get really too much into statistics, but there is some research out there showing that with both millennials and um, older adults, almost 50% when they were surveyed believe that technology interferes with home interpersonal relationships. Everything that you've said so far in this conversation, it is alarming because you could see the vicious cycle. Our children are getting involved with this, these external messages at a younger and younger age. You could have children seven, eight, nine years of age getting this messaging. And then it creates, as you said, that deep-seated trauma that then translates into this fear that they experience when they're older. So it is a very alarming situation. It is Very alarming, Joan. And the other piece I don't want to leave out, two pieces for listeners who want to understand more about how impressionable a child is. I don't know about you, but when I was young, I believed in Santa Claus. I believed in rainbows and leprechauns and fairies. Why is that the case? I believed my dad was a superhero and that my mom was too. Why is it that way? It's because of the way the brain is formed and how the prefrontal cortex, where we logic through things, comes on board so much later in life. So if readers and listeners understand that, then they can say, oh, well, then that makes sense. So my child has that same type of impressionable sponge-like brain. And when he or she is seeing children cyberbullying, that is all making it through in a very unfiltered way. They are not capable of filtering it as an adult. They are not capable of looking at a movie star and saying, oh, well, you know, her life really isn't like that. You know, it's not all glamour. She doesn't really look like that. They aren't able to understand that. In fact, many adults don't realize that. So that's a really important piece to understand is what the child's brain is like. The other important piece is to understand that I don't know about you, but I grew up, even though I was in a very busy family, I grew up being connected to human beings, connected to my siblings, to yes. my, you know, nature, my bicycle, playing and doing charades and that sort of thing for Me hours too. on end, really interacting with live human beings. And then now you look at children, what are they connecting with? Right. They're connecting with a technology device. Mom is busy. Her back is to them. She's trying to do 3,000 things and tend to her own phone. You know, dad is coming home tired from work. Mom's tired from work. And the child is essentially interacting with a cell phone or a computer far more than with the eyes and loving attention of another human being. It's time that we, we, we notice this. Doctor, when we experience these types of traumas that we've been talking about, a a natural protective method is to try to bury them or repress these emotions. Mm -hmm. When that happens, are we actually giving this trauma more power over us? Yes. Yes. Easy answer. So what do we do then? What do we do? What we do is if you are, and, and here's what I liken that to, because we've all had a splinter, right? 
And when we bury a trauma, it is like taking a splinter that is festering, right? And it just wants to come out and come to the Mm -hmm. surface and how do you take it out? But what about if we just keep pushing it back under and then put some band-aids over it? We're going to make a massive infection. We really will because the body wants to get rid of that. It's the same with the psyche. So if we are aware, we become aware, something is not working right for me. I'm self-medicating, I'm self-soothing, I'm engaged in these toxic patterns. That's the, the psyche's call to you. Listen to me. So what do we do? We can reach out for a psychotherapist and begin to work on those issues in psychotherapy. We can, if we can't afford psychotherapy, we can try to find a spiritual or religious group that feels supportive. We can also do bibliotherapy. And so I encourage people, if something in your life is not feeling right, if fear is keeping you stuck and holding you back, address it. There are more people than you know suffering from the same or similar issues. Reach out, get help. Create energy where you can work with others on your issues, and you will find healing by doing that. You will only find pain by compartmentalizing or pressing it. The book is Joy from Fear, Create the Life of Your Dreams by Making Fear Your Friend. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Manley and her work, you can visit drcarlamanley.com. That's D-R, drcarlamanley.com. Doctor, in our final moments, very quickly... Can you leave our listeners with an exercise that can help us to release a fearful memory? Absolutely. I'll try and make it simple and quick. There are five steps. So first, observe and detach. Notice when an old fearful memory is coming up to plague you. Just notice it and observe it. Really key is that you not be judgmental. So you observe the memory as though you're watching a movie and then you just Practice detaching from it, stepping back and watching it again like it's a movie. The next step, step two, and again, this one we really want to work without judgment. Notice any negative thoughts or beliefs that come up as this is happening. This is your personal narrative. So as you watch that movie going before you, you might be thinking, oh, you're incompetent. Oh, What a, you know, weakling you are. Or, oh, nobody loves you. Just notice the narrative. Again, notice it without judgment. Your third step, allow your feelings to arise. You're going to have feelings as you're watching this movie. Maybe sadness, maybe anger, maybe sorrow, regret. Just notice the feelings as you're watching that film. Notice if your body's feeling tense, flushed, you know, just notice the feelings. And then again, notice the feelings and allow them to move through you. And often we'll want to hold on to the feelings, especially if it's anger. Just notice it and let it move through you. This is really powerful because now you're learning that you don't have to hold on to it, right? Fourth step, start to let go. As you begin to notice these memories and they'll come up one at a time and sometimes repetitively. Imagine that you have a dark balloon, one that you can't see through. Put the memory in the balloon, just stuff it in the balloon, put the negative thoughts, the negative beliefs in the balloon along with it, and then set the balloon free. Just watch it float far, far away from you. And as you do that, you'll notice that you feel lighter. And again, depending upon how toxic and deep that memory is, it may come back again and again. Here's the secret. You don't let it haunt you. You just release it. Whenever it comes up, release it. Do that process. Fifth step. Now you have a space in your own being that has been vacated increasingly by this negativity. So now you have the chance to put something positive in its place. So I want you to envision a beautiful balloon, one that's clear, that you can see through, translucent and lovely. I want you to learn to put in positive messages to create the truth in this balloon, positive messages and positive images about how wonderful you really are. 
and you might see yourself putting in that balloon thoughts about how kind you are, how good you are, how amazing you are, how resilient, courageous, right? And then put all of that along with comforting image. It might be an image of, you know, a religious icon or the flower, something that gives you joy. Put that into that balloon. And then you get to hold on to that balloon. You get to tie it to a chair. You get to put it on your wrist. And imagine just carrying that with you because that is your truth. And that is joy. And as you continue with that process, you will begin to feel clearer, more free, and definitely more filled with joy. It just takes practice. And you deserve that. Dr. Manley, thank you so much for sharing with us. So many of us are afraid of being afraid, and your work, it it helps us to become mindful of our emotions so we can move past the fear. So thanks for spending time with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a joy to talk with you and to share, and thank you for spreading such good messages. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. She's here today to discuss The Gift of Maybe. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Joan. So, Allison... Many of us have goals and dreams, things that we want to achieve, but we worry that these things might never happen, especially when we don't see any signs of forward movement. I know in my life, it's really easy to want to give up and allow our ambitions to create pain or to create dissatisfaction in our life. So why do you think this happens? How can we have goals, but at the same time, not worry so much about the future? Joan, that's a great question. I think a lot of us have a fear of uncertainty. Either we're afraid that we'll lose the things that we have in our lives, the things that we cherish, or we fear we can't have the life that we want. We can't achieve the goals that we want. We can't have the relationships that we want. We worry that things are not going to work out. And what we do in order to manage this is that we think we know how things will happen. We write stories about what needs to happen for us to be okay. And then when things don't work out, We feel like things are never going to change or they're not going to get better. Or when something bad happens, we're not going to recover from that either. So we're always kind of playing this game where we're worried about life. We're worried about the future. And so if we have a goal or we have a story about what we believe needs to happen for us to be okay, if it doesn't happen, we're going to live in so much pain. And what this also does, it steals our hope. Because if you think about it, if you're so afraid that life's not going to work out, it's hard to live with that hope and that openness and that possibility that you can have the things that you want. And this great philosopher Krishnamurti said, you know the reason why I'm happy? I'm happy because I don't mind what happens. And if you think about it, if we didn't mind what happened, of course we'd be happy because we'd live every day in the moment and we'd be open and we'd be expansive and we'd believe that life would take us where it needed to go. But we have mortgages and we have jobs and we have children, so we mind things. So 
the key is how can we mind less? Because the more we could let go of our fear of the unknown, the more expansive we could be, the more we could live in possibility and we could release that pain. And I know most people listening know that feeling when they're able to let go. It's this feeling of great relief. And I think if we could just remember this, we could remember that the unknown is really our best friend. Because if you want your life to change, it has to happen in the unknown. If you want to achieve your goal, if you want a new relationship, if you want anything in your life to be different, the unknown is where it's going to happen. And so what I like to do is I found, because I was addicted to certainty, because if I didn't know what was going to happen, I projected things were going to be bad or weren't going to work out. So what I've done in my life is I've embraced this idea of maybe. And what maybe is, it's this open space that reminds me all the time, you're not doomed, you're not stuck, life always changes. And there are these mantras that I do, maybe everything is okay, maybe things will get better, maybe there's something left for me in this moment to experience. And it's just this one little word, but it reminds you again and again and again that everything still might be okay, even though you feel scared and even though you don't know what's going to happen next. Life always moves forward, and we will move forward with life. So there's this idea that, that this opening and this, this idea of maybe that maybe we are okay. And if we could just remember that uncertainty is our best friend and maybe everything's okay, and life will keep changing, we will find the hope and resilience to always find our way. Is there an exercise or or something else that you do that you can share with us that can help us to mind less and to let go and release that fear so we can stay hopeful? Yes, and, and I'd like to go back to this idea of maybe, because it sounds so simple, right? It's just one little word, but we need something to help us let go. Sometimes we're, we're all so afraid of things changing, of things ending, but there's always this next breath. What happens when we're afraid of the unknown, we forget that there's going to be another opportunity in our next breath to have a different experience. And so what I like to do is I first like to ask myself, what's my biggest fear? Am I afraid that I'm not going to get this client? Um, Or are you afraid that you're not going to get a job or afraid that you'll never fall in love again? Whatever your greatest fear is, write it down. And then ask yourself, am I absolutely certain that this is going to happen? And the funny thing is, we're so afraid of uncertainty. This is one time it works to our advantage because you say to yourself, Am I certain this fear is going to happen? And most of the time, we're not certain what's going to happen next. So then we could take a deep breath and say, wait a second, I'm not certain that I'm not going to get that job or I'm never going to find a job or things aren't going to change. So what else is there? And then we start to incorporate the maybe. And first, there are very broad maybe statements. Maybe everything's okay. Maybe things will get better. And then one of the most powerful ones is, Maybe there's something left for me to experience in this moment. We forget that. Sometimes we get so consumed with our pain and our suffering, we forget that in that moment, there's usually something else to experience. It could be a hug, it could be the sun, or it could be a new opportunity. But when we're so busy telling the story that things are bad or we're suffering, we can't even see that extra space in the moment that's giving us something that's so beautiful. So what maybe does, it also reminds us that in the moment, there's something else. And then over time, you know, you just find these these mantras, these maybe statements that just help you. Like for me, when I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling worried and I forget about the possibilities in life, I'll often hear myself say, maybe everything is okay. Maybe this moment is giving me something I can't see. And I take that breath and my mind calms down. And usually I do see something that's so beautiful in the moment. And it does calm me down. It does give me peace and also it gives me hope because I know I'm not doomed. And life will change and I promise you, you will change with it. We just need to keep an open mind. And maybe it's just another tool that we can use to always stay expansive and always stay open and to make sure that we're ready always to live our best life. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Allison and her work, or if you'd like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit her website, alisoncarmen.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. We'll be right back. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done. And you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. 
a book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. As a mother, you don't want to have to worry about this bill is coming, but then she needs this chemo. That's a decision you shouldn't have to make. At St. Jude, a family never sees a bill at all. It's like the world has been lifted off of your shoulders. The treatment doesn't get any better than what you receive at St. Jude. It saved my life. It saved my daughter's life. It saved our family. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Hypnosis and hypnotherapy use guided relaxation, intense concentration, and focused attention to achieve a heightened state of awareness. Joining us today to talk about hypnotherapy and its benefits is Mary Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner and founder of Metro Hypnosis Center and A Path of Peace, located in Oradell, New Jersey. Mary is the author of Transformation Through Hypnosis, Relax, Clear Your Mind, and Step Into Your Power. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joan, for having me. So, Mary, I just mentioned two terms in the introduction, hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Is there a difference between the two? Joan, that's a great question. Hypnosis and hypnotherapy work together. Hypnosis is what the introduction to the hypnotherapy would be. So hypnosis is really relaxing you, saying positive thoughts into the mind, getting to that deep, relaxed state. Hypnotherapy is the deeper work where we're looking within to really clear the blocks. So Mary, when we hear about hypnotherapy, we think of the times that we may have seen someone being given a suggestion like barking like a dog or following other types of commands. And that scares people. They think they're going to lose control. I know that was the case the first time I was coming to you for a session. I was Googling it the night before because I had no idea what you were going to do to me the next day. So can you explain hypnosis to us and how it works? And Joan, you're not alone in that thought. Most people come to me a little unsure of what hypnosis really is going to be. And I like to explain hypnosis just like a daydream state. I like to break it down to something we all do every day. So when we're in a daydream state, we're focused on that thought, but we hear everything in the background. That's very similar to hypnosis. It's just a little deeper, but just like in a daydream state, you're aware, you hear everything that's going on, and you are in control. So you can't make us cluck like a chicken if we choose not to. Exactly right, Joan. You won't cluck like a chicken unless you want to. So if you took 20 people on stage, a few of them will do the antics, whatever it is, because they're okay with that. But most of us wouldn't. So we'll just sit quietly by the side or they'll just kind of push us off the stage because they're only going to focus on the people who are open to doing the antics they ask. So studies today are showing that hypnotherapy has many benefits. Can you share some of those benefits with us? Joan, I'm so excited to share the benefits of hypnosis and hypnotherapy. It is really unlimited in what you can do with this work. If you just want to get into positive mindset, which is very important to change, that could be just phase one of it. But if you have traumas or you have fears or phobias that you need to release to move forward, then this work is just wonderful to do that. It's so beneficial with grief, with anger, with sadness, with anxiety, with stress, sports hypnosis, medical hypnosis. That's why I call hypnosis unlimited. And Mary, is it safe? Joan, it's very safe. The only thing I would just recommend for people is to make sure uh, the person you're working with has the training, the proper training, but it is very safe and effective work. And there's no side effects of like the drugs would give you. So it's all natural and it's really about clearing the mind. What type of person would be a good candidate for hypnotherapy? You always tell me that I'm able to go in very easily. So is there something about me that makes me a good candidate? 
most people can go into hypnosis and most people have experienced it on some level, whether it's a daydream or if you're driving somewhere and you get somewhere and you don't realize how you got there. You're in a hypnotic state. So most people can do it. Sometimes it's the openness or the fear if you don't want to lose control or something like that. But I always um, meet with people beforehand and chat, talk to them and make sure they're educated on what it is. So then when they do the work, they are confident and comfortable with the process. That's really what it is, is educating people on the process, making sure they're comfortable with it, and then they can relax and, and go into that relaxed state. So part of your goal is to empower people to be able to do self-hypnosis. What is self-hypnosis? And would someone like me or, or anyone who's doing this, would we be able to get the same benefits that we would by working with a professional like you? Joan, self-hypnosis is just a relaxed state. I call it a shortcut to get into a meditative state. So all we're doing with self-hypnosis is really teaching you how to clear the mind. And when you clear the mind, then you can go into that relaxed state because that's what hypnosis is all about. There are many benefits to doing the self-hypnosis, and you can certainly do that on your own. But you would need, if you want the deeper work that hypnotherapy can give, then you need the professional. But everyone can learn to be calm, to clear that mind, and get into that peaceful state, which will benefit everyone. Can you teach us something now that we would be able to do on our own? I think the breath is the biggest thing to show people. It's the beginning of a lot of my inductions for people in hypnosis. But the breath, we, we all know about breathing because we're breathing all day. But what we're doing is taking short breaths, and it's not relaxing us. But I think of a breath like a pause. So I always use the breath when I'm dealing with weight loss, smoking, or any other issue where we need to take that pause in life. So if you all just would sit on a chair, have your um, get comfortable in the chair, and all you have to do is take a nice deep breath in, and you want to let your belly really come out with the breath. So you just would breathe in through the nose, so we can just do that now. And you want to let that belly out. And now you want to breathe out through the mouth. And you can practice this. You can do this four or five times, six times. You could do it once. It's a great thing. Let's say you're going to have a public presentation today and you're a little nervous. You can be in the conference room. You can be waiting to be called and just take that breath. So it's usable in any Thing that you do that you need a little more calm and peace for the day. So Mary, you're the author of the new book, Transformation Through Hypnosis, Relax, Clear Your Mind, and Step Into Your Power. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? Joan, I call my book a beautiful book. It's written with love, compassion, comfort, and peace. My book, of course, teaches people how to do self-hypnosis and educates them on hypnosis. But What's special about my book is that each chapter is written in a letter format, so it allows me to be personal to you, my dearest one, who is the reader, who's, who's actually reading the book. So I share my story of how I had loss and how hypnosis helped me heal, because there's such healing in hypnosis if you allow it to happen, if you're open and ready for it. And that's what my book shows by my story and how I truly transformed. I changed my life 360 degrees and hypnosis was part of that because a big part of this is creating the positive thoughts, creating that positive mindset. And I didn't realize how negative I was before. I changed my life with clearing the mind, creating positive thoughts, and then moving forward. A lot of people are stuck and this book shows you how you can move forward on your journey in life. Mary, thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about Mary and her work, or if you'd like to get a copy of her new book, Transformation Through Hypnosis, you can visit her websites, metrohypnosiscenter.com or apathofpeace.com. Mary, in our final moments, what would you like to leave our listeners with? I'd like to leave the listeners with the thought of hypnosis, that it brings such calm, relaxation, and peace into your life and to be open for the unlimited possibilities because that's what you tap into when you tap into hypnosis and your own self. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. On a personal note, you have helped me on my journey. You've helped me manage grief. You've helped me to move through a lot of different 
situations that I've encountered in life. And, you know, at first, as I said, I was skeptical about hypnotherapy. I didn't know a lot about it, but, you know, I did my research. I've worked with you and it really has had a profound impact on my life and on my healing. So again, if you'd like to get more information about Mary, please visit MetroHypnosisCenter.com or APathOfPeace.com. Mary, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're a business owner and you're not using video to market your company, you're losing customers and revenue. No matter whether you're a one-person shop or your revenue is in the seven figures, video is guaranteed to improve your fortunes. Hi, I'm Ed Lamoureux. I'm the owner of Lamore Strategy Group, a marketing consultancy. The most common two things I hear about why businesses aren't using video marketing is, one, I don't know how to do video marketing, and two, I don't feel comfortable on camera. Well, to both of those objections, I say this. Video shouldn't be scary. Failure should be scary. Numbers don't lie. According to HubSpot, video is the number one form of media used in content strategy. And according to WiseOwl, 84% of people say that they've been convinced to buy a product or service by watching a company's video. So how can you ride the video wave to your own success? Well, as Nike says, just do it. Practice, delete, and repeat until it looks good and feels right. And don't forget, you should tell stories if you want to get engagement. No one wants to watch ads. Well, perhaps with the exception of advertising agencies who uh, make their living off them. Learn how to tell a story, and you'll soon be watching the clicks and views multiply exponentially. If you need help with your video needs, give us a call or visit our website at lamorestrategies.com. This is Ed Lamoureux from Lamore Strategy Group, where our favorite story to tell is yours. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often, that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, and that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site. New shows drop every Monday. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today to talk about a solution for those suffering from irritable bowel syndrome caused by small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is Phoebe Lapine, a gluten-free chef, culinary instructor, and author of the book, SIBO Made Simple. Welcome, Phoebe. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. So, Phoebe, many people today suffer from IBS. Experts estimate that over 60% of all IBS cases are caused by small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So, can you explain for us what is SIBO? Sure. So I think there's a bit of a misconception going around in kind of this new education around gut health. Um, a lot of talk about the microbiome, about quote unquote, good gut bacteria. And the reality is that the majority of that good gut bacteria is in the large intestine, in the colon, not throughout the entire digestive tract. So of course, there's some 
populations other places, but it really doesn't belong in the small intestine because that's where we absorb our essential nutrients and bacteria don't really have a function. And in fact, if it's there and competing for those food resources, it can cause a host of uncomfortable symptoms, which are related to IBS and um, downwind SIBO. So what happens is due to, you know, many different types of um, breakdowns in your machinery, um, it can cause bacteria or even fungi, other types of organisms as well, to overgrow in your small intestines. And then when those organisms eat your food, they release gas, and that gas doesn't really have anywhere to go so far up your intestinal tract. So it can really cause very uncomfortable bloating. It can cause flatulence, both like burping and out the other end since it's so far away from the other exit ramp. Um, And then, you know, of course, a lot of the other hallmarks of IBS, you know, constipation, diarrhea, and then some more kind of insidious symptoms like brain fog, skin issues, nutrient deficiencies, since again, they're eating your own nutrients, um, weight loss, weight gain, depending on what kind of critters are overgrowing. And, you know, it's got a big overlap with autoimmune disease because of a lot of the, the dysfunction that's caused in that area of the gut, which can lead to intestinal permeability and then food sensitivities. So because everything that you just described could be attributed to something else, how is this problem diagnosed? Through a breath test, yeah. So there are over, you know, 40 different conditions that could present, you know, those hallmark four main symptoms of IBS, the bloating, the gas, the constipation, the diarrhea. Um, For SIBO in particular, we're lucky because there's a test for it. Um, There's some argument about how accurate the testing is, but meta-analysis has come back that, you know, whatever you want to call it, people with abnormal tests tend to do better and have improved numbers once they go through treatment. Um, So how the breath test works is really interesting, I think, is that you have to prepare for 24 hours. It's a little bit laborious um, and go on a certain diet where you're eating very limited foods and then fasting overnight. And then essentially you drink a sugar solution And essentially, it's really only bacteria that would be reacting to that sugar solution and producing certain gases. So you breathe into a tube every 15 minutes kind of as that sugar solution is slowly making its way through your system. And then they measure out the amount of gas in your breath and can kind of tell where there are populations along the way that shouldn't be there. How is SIBO usually treated? So there are a few different methods. Um, The first one is just conventional antibiotics. Um, The important thing about having a test in the first place is kind of determining which types of critters are overgrowing so that you know which types of medication will be most effective. So those with hydrogen-dominant SIBO will take a drug called Zyfaxin or Rifaximin um, in the conventional aisle. And then if it's methane-dominant SIBO, you might have to add on um, another antibiotic on top of that. But then there's incredible data also for the herbal antimicrobial route. So these are various compound herbs, but then also kind of single herbs like oregano oil, berberine herbs, and then specifically for methane, um, allicin garlic, which is a derivative of garlic. I know a lot of people with IBS react to garlic, but this is just a special derivative that's incredibly antimicrobial and good for those methanogens. And then the third option is something called the elemental diet, which is really not a diet at all. It's a medical solution. And um, you basically drink it in place of meals for a few weeks. And um, because it's your nutrients in its most elemental form, it gets absorbed kind of immediately upon reaching the small intestines and doesn't have a chance to feed anything below. What's the most important part of a treatment plan? The most important thing for anyone's uh, treatment plan is to first uncover your root causes. So why is the SIBO occurring? Is it because you have low stomach acid? Is it because, you know, you don't have a gallbladder anymore? Is it because of maybe a host of different autoimmune conditions that could be limiting the way that food moves through your small intestine? Is it because you have endometriosis and there could be, you know, various growths outside of your uterus that are compressing your intestines and forcing things not to move through enough? Is it, you know, that you had some sort of abdominal surgery and have scar tissue internally that you didn't even know about? That's, again, kind of constricting your intestines. You have to kind of go through the list and it's very, very long and uncover, you know, what your 
causes may be. One of the most common causes is just a simple case of food poisoning and some of the damage that can arise to how our migrating motor complex, which is this system that moves moves food through the small intestine, how that functions. That's one of the main buckets for why people get SIBO. Um, so those treatment options that I laid out, they can apply to anyone. It's, you know, depends on how bad your SIBO is, what type of SIBO you have, and then, you know, you can come down to, to lifestyle issues. But then I think what many practitioners are not equipped to help people with or just don't spend enough time helping people with is what happens in the aftermath. So again, the prevention to make sure that it's not a chronic condition, um, which again goes back to making sure that you at least identify and protect against some of your root causes. Some of them may not be able to be healed, um, like missing a gallbladder. But you know, if you're missing a gallbladder and missing those essential bile acids, there are bile acids that you can take for that. Um, but then there's just this whole issue of healing the gut off the back of treatment. You know, there's a lot of inflammation and dysfunction that just the SIBO itself can breed. So it's a kind of fine line after the fact with diet and lifestyle to make sure that you're healing for the long haul and also making sure that you're not contributing to another form of dysbiosis of gut imbalance with the beneficial bacteria in your large intestine, because those are so important. So Diet is a place that a lot of people get confused by. It's not necessarily a treatment in and of itself. You can cure your SIBO without ever changing your diet. But I think it's really difficult to heal your gut for good and prevent it from coming back without, you know, take, making some changes and um, trying to heal your gut lining post-SIBO, trying to re reduce some allergens that may be a result of SIBO. A lot of people get food sensitivities and that kind of just spurs the inflammation from your immune system. The book is SIBO Made Simple. Phoebe, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.